we talk a lot about grace in church, right? And most of you, uh, even folks who don't go to church, they know the song, Amazing Grace, right? They probably even know the words, how sweet the sound. And uh, they could maybe even sing a few bars of it. But today, and, and we do, and that's in, we talk that is really about that grace that saves us. And, and that's, that's a good thing, and churches should talk about that a lot. We really should. Uh, in the Church of the Nazarene and Wesleyan churches, uh, Methodist churches, Wesleyan, Free Methodist, there are a few of, of those branches of churches. We also talk about, we talk about sanctifying grace. That's the grace that after we are saved continues to mature us and helps us to grow to look more like Jesus. And in fact, in the Church of the Nazarene, we believe that the Holy Spirit can do such a work that we give all of who we are over to Jesus and Jesus fills us and enables us to live that life out. But today I want to talk about a different kind of grace. It's one that we believe as good uh, Wesleyans or holiness people. Uh, and, and yet we don't talk about it a lot. It's, it's actually one of our articles of faith. And so I, I want to talk about it a little bit today um, as we go. So I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you could, to Philippians chapter 2. This is actually, I, I believe, if not my favorite Scripture passage, it's one of them. It's, it definitely makes the top five, okay? But I want you to, to get that. It, if you don't have a Bible, we want you to have one. And so you can take that one that's in the seat back in front of you and uh, lean into the person next to you if you don't know where we're turning and, and just look it up and uh, t- say, help me out here. And, uh, and we'll uh, read this together. Now you have it on the screen behind you. Uh, in the New International Version. And that's what's in the pew, and so that's what's on the screen. I'm going to read today from the New Revised Standard Version. It's my favorite uh, version of the Bible, and it's what I learned this verse in. And so I just want to read it. So you'll, you'll hear it a little differently, and you'll read it some, and we'll go from there. But hear the word of the Lord this morning from Philippians chapter 2. This is Paul writing. And and I I have to set this up just a little bit. So Paul has just finished, I think, one of the great hymns of the of the Bible. It's it's a great poem where uh, he says, "Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be used for his own benefit." But he took the, he emptied himself. He took the form of a slave and being born in human likeness, being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God gave him the name that's above every name. He sung about that. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee would have the opportunity to bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue would have the opportunity to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is foundational good news. And yet Paul says, therefore. So because this is who Jesus is, because this is who God is, because Jesus showed us what God looks like perfectly, emptying Himself, not grasping on to power, but letting it go in order to be a servant, there is something. Because God raised Him from the dead and gave Him the name that is above every name, because He's given humanity opportunity now to bow their knee and confess with their mouth, therefore, is where we begin. Verse 12. Therefore, My beloved, 
just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence. This is Paul writing from prison. He says these words, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That fear and trembling is this wonder and amazement. What are we wondering and what are we, what are we so amazed by? Here it is. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That's a good, that's good news, isn't it? And what a challenge it is. So let's pray and ask God to bless us as we look at this often overlooked grace that He gives to us. Jesus, after three weekends that are full of work, talking about vision and where we're going as a church, of spending time together in prayer, and all the stuff in between and many long days and many long meetings, today I feel like I come with a few pieces of bread and a couple of small fish. And so I pray that You, Lord Jesus, would take it and do like You did so long ago. Break it. Multiply it. That it might become for these, my brothers and sisters, good spiritual food. An encouragement of Your love and compassion for us and for all the world. I pray these things in Your name. Amen. So how many of you grew up at least one time a year watching The Wizard of Oz on television? Did Netflix kill that already? Or do they still do that? Um, now you can just watch it anytime you want, but you used to have to wait for it, you know? And you'd get all excited, and you know, it starts out in black and white, and there's all the stuff, and then there's the tornado. I think, honestly, that's where my uh, love and fascination with watching tornadoes came from, uh, is, is from The Wizard of Oz. But, uh, you know, here it is, and she ends up in this strange land, remember? And somewhere along the line, these things get attached to her feet. They are the what? Ruby slippers, right? She wears them all through the, 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 there's something, something about them because you know the Wicked Witch of the West wants them, but she can't have them as long as Dorothy is still alive. And so all through the movie, she's trying to get those ruby slippers, trying to get those ruby slippers. And at the end, uh, I should, I should probably say spoilers if you haven't seen this. In the end, Dorothy and the, the Scarecrow and the Tin Woodsman and the Cowardly Lion, they're all, they, they were victorious over the Wicked Witch of the West. And, uh, and, and now they, she wants to go home. She wants to go home to Kansas. And, and the thing is, the, the, uh, the Good Witch comes in and, we're talking about witches in churches. This is probably not good. Uh, but she, you know, she does one of these things and she says, Oh, Dorothy, you have always had the power to go home. All you have to do is what? Say it. Click your heel. How many times? And what do you say? No place like home. You guys have seen this a few times, right? So she does it and, you know, all of a sudden it gets weird and then she's back at home. 
it's, it's one of those things, the grace that we're going to talk about is, is similar to these ruby slippers. They're, they're things that, they, that, is, that, is, that this grace is with us, and yet sometimes we're unaware of it because it fits so closely in our lives and those kinds of things. And we carry it everywhere we go, and we're not really sure. And then all of a sudden, sometime, Jesus makes this aha moment where he says, yeah, that's the gift that you've had in your life that I gave, that the Father gave through me to you. And I want you to to look at this. This is a grace that we call uh, prevenient grace. It it literally means the grace that goes before, but some of the other um, words or synonyms that could be used for prevenient is uh, preventing grace. That means it's the grace that prevents you from doing the wrong thing. Uh, it is also called an assisting grace. It is a grace that it was given to you by God that allows you to do something good, even though you may not even be a Christian yet. Um, it is also called an anticipating grace. It is a grace that anticipates what God can do through you and shows you a glimpse of that in that moment. And it is always there trying to entice you to Jesus. But where did this term come from? Because some of us are not too familiar with this term, even though we may have grown up in the church of the Nazarene. And so I want you to look at a, a little history lesson. Is it okay? I'll try and make this very brief. But I think it'll help us understand something. So this is uh, Jacobus or Jacobus Arminius, Jacob Arminius. Um, I love, I, I keep waiting for this fashion to come back in. Yeah. The, the giant, uh, it looks like one of those, those hard candy things that you get at Christmas all the way around. Um, yeah, so he was from 1560 to 1609. And, and this was around the time of the Reformation, particularly Calvin's Reformation. Now, you've probably all heard of Calvin, right? I mean, his college is just up the road in Grand Rapids. Sorry, is it a university now? Yeah, okay, so it's right up the road. But Calvin had a way of interpreting things, and, and Jacob really had some struggles with the way that Calvin or Reformed theology interpreted some things. And so one of the things that uh, Calvin said and that Calvinistic or Reformed thinking says is that mankind or humankind, I assume women are too, uh, is totally depraved and incapable of turning to God on their own. Okay, that's, that's just foundation for Reformed theology. We'll, we'll, we'll see the other side of it here in just a second. And so, but Calvin was saying, but God calls some people. And he would say that God is absolutely sovereign, knows all things, determines all things, is all things. And so to try and equate those two, because we have man who's totally depraved and incapable of turning to God, and we have a God who is sovereign, and obviously people at some point come to know this God or are saved by this God, He mashes, Calvin mashes those together and says, therefore God elects some to be saved and the rest of us who are not, we are just wood, wood fire for, the, for hell. <laughs> the rest of us are just predetermined to go to hell. And this was a problem for Jacob. He, he really struggled with this, not just theologically, but he also struggled this, with this from a biblical standpoint. So he would say, he would agree with Calvin, 
and we would agree with Calvin at this point too, that man has fallen and mankind, humankind, is in need of salvation. We know this, right? We do not always do the thing that is loving, peaceful, kind. We are fallen. We are depraved. Those kinds of things. However, God has poured out His Spirit on all flesh. If you don't believe me, turn to Acts chapter 2. You can read there. Peter describes this at Pentecost, which is next Sunday. And he pulls out a passage from the Old Testament, from Joel, and says, I will pour out My Spirit on all flesh. Not just good flesh, not just the ones who behave right, but I'll pour it out on all flesh. And so he says, he, he brings this all down to First John. I know I'm kind of jumping around here. But where John writes there, God is what? You know this. Love. And love requires free will. And so how do we hold these two in tension? He says, therefore, God wills that none should perish, but enables us to choose. God is not going to coerce you into following Him or loving Him. The instant you force somebody to do something, it is no longer love, it is coercion. And it's about power. And so Jacob Arminius began to write, about how we hold all of these things, that yes, man is fallen, but also man has had the Spirit of Christ poured out on him to enable human beings to, yes, need salvation, but also to possibly do some things that look like what God would want all of us to do even before they say yes to Jesus. Now, I'm going to... Don't let me get, okay, are we, are we all on the same page here? Okay? You're tracking with me. There's a little more to go. So I want you to see this. This is Jacob Arminius. And, uh, and he was, it was, it was quite a struggle because, uh, Calvinism and Reformed theology was pretty prevalent, much like it is here in Kalamazoo and Portage. And so, let's look on. So, one of his followers later on, a couple hundred years later, is John Wesley. And John Wesley, from a sermon preached on the passage that I am preaching to you today, says, Provenient grace elicits the first wish to please God. The first dawn of light concerning God's will. The first slight transient conviction of having sinned against Him. So you see, there is something in this that God, yes, mankind is fallen. Humanity needs a Savior. And God has given the Spirit so that we have some manner of choice in this. So that we can choose in love to do those things. And it is that grace that John Wesley says is that first spark. That first hope that we could please God. That first dawn of light that we could live into His will. That first conviction that we might need to ask Him to save us. This is this grace that we forget about so often. In the Church of the Nazarene, now I'm bringing us up to today, this is Article of Faith number 7. I'm not going to read it for you today because it's a lot of heavy lingo, and I think I've already lingoed you to death today. But we agree with John Wesley and with Jacob Arminus, where we say we believe that because God is love, And because we are in need of a Savior, God has given us His Spirit around us, 
even before we say yes, to help us enable us. John Wesley used to kind of look at it this way. He began to talk and and understand this because he would say, I know that guy. I know he is not a Christian. I know he doesn't follow Jesus, but I just saw him love his kids. How did he do that if Calvin is right and we're just totally depraved and unable to do the right thing? They began to wrestle with us. We see this. Are they still in need of asking? Yes. This is the grace. This is the grace that, click your heels three times, enables you, that has been gifted to you in order to enable you to make that decision. Is that good news to you today? It should be. It, 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 what we have to remember about this type of grace that we don't talk about that often is that it is freely given by God. This is not something you can earn. This is not something you can work your way into. It's not something along those lines. This is just a gift of God, just like all the other grace that we talk about. It is freely given, though, to all people. That's the distinction that we make, that we say that it has been poured out That enables us to work. What does Paul say? Work out your own salvation with awe and wonder because it is God who is at work in you. We believe this to be true. And it is freely given for the purpose that you would make a choice. That you would be assisted in choosing freely to say Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. And I want to participate with the grace that is there. I, I kind of think of it sometimes this way. Imagine you're floating down a river and the goal is to get down the river uh, a good ways. You know, if you just let go in that river, uh, you can spin around a lot, right? Sometimes you might be facing the wrong direction, but you're still going down the river. And there may be occasions when, when it turns you around and you're actually going in the right direction, but it is the river that's carrying you, right? This is prevenient grace. We are in the river and sometimes, yeah, we're in need of help. We're in need of getting down that river. And sometimes we're facing the wrong way. But there are moments because we're in the river, because we're in that grace, that we actually do the right thing. And it's moving us towards the hope of the goal down the river where we say yes to Jesus. This is this is good news. This grace is specifically given to enable you and anyone to choose Jesus. This is this is part of what we hold to as foundational for us as a church. And so what does this mean? Why is this important to you? Some of you are are asking that question right now, even as I say it. Why is this important? Because it means that no one is beyond choosing God to be their Savior. It means it, it should be a check for us who have been in the church for a long, 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 long time. Because we can tend sometimes to write people off. But if prevenient grace is true, God is at work in, in all places, in all people, trying to woo them so that they will say yes to the saving work of Jesus. To have that grace completed in their lives. And so we cannot write them off. God is at work in them. We have to go and partner with what God is already doing in their lives to entice them, to help them. That's part of the reason why one of our new, our, our mantra, or the thing that we're going to be saying over and over again to people as they come in the door is you belong here. 
Why are we saying that? Because we believe that God's grace is at work in their lives. And they belong here so they can complete the journey. So they can say yes to Jesus and continue to grow in maturity with us together. All of us together. This is the important work. And so provenient grace says we can never write anyone off. But we always say you belong here. We want you here. We want you to hear the story. We want you to say yes to Jesus. We can't write anyone off. It also says that today, if you are here, that you are able to choose Jesus today. Did you know that you didn't come in here by accident? That today, that work, that work that is assisting you, that grace that is anticipating something for you has brought you here. And today might be your opportunity to say yes to Jesus. To say, wow, God loved me that much that He's working with, with me even before I was aware of it. And He's brought me to this moment and I can say yes to that kind of God today. Yes, you could. And I hope you will. We're going to make opportunity for that in just a moment. And it's also, and I thought this is so appropriate for today, You might want to think about prevenient grace like a mother loves before the child is born. I'm telling you, I watched this with my own wife as Jackson uh, grew inside. When she heard his heartbeat for the very first time, there were tears. She loved him at that moment. She wasn't waiting to see, you know, what he looks like. She wasn't waiting to see, was he going to be a good boy or not so good boy? Was he going to, was he going to, she loved him already and she was doing the things that would, that would make him healthy. She was pouring out that goodness on this little boy while he was still in her body. She didn't even know she was having a boy at the time and she already loved him. She loved what was there and she she made choices and then after he's born we still make choices to make sure that he can do we are not guaranteed of any of these things but because we love him we set up all these things this anticipating grace that we're hopeful for and that's why we set up college uh, accounts right and that's why we set up little savings plans and that's why we make sure they go to school and that's why we make sure they eat right and they're healthy and all these things why it's just like god who says, I want to give them everything they can to choose the right thing. But because I love them, they've got to have the freedom to do that. But I'm going to give them every opportunity. I'm going to give them every chance to do this. It also means for us today, folks, like Brother Paul writes to us, that even if we've said yes to Jesus, and we've traveled, there's still a need for you and I To be in awe and wonder that God would work in us and through us and enable us and help us to will and to do His good purposes, His good pleasure. So today, church, I hope that you are are excited about this great grace because God has given it to you and God has given it to me and God has given it to the world So that when we freely choose, we can click our heels and say, I want to go home. Into the arms of the one who loved me and gave me everything. This is good news. Are you ready to receive this good news? I hope you are.
Can we bow our heads for prayer? Lord Jesus, today, I'm thankful for this very, this very motherly grace that loves us and sacrifices for us and gives to us even before we say yes to You. Thank You for Your love that, it, that gives us freedom and assists us in every way to say yes to the things that will transform our lives. And not just our life, but the life of those around us and the world. So help us today. Help us to acknowledge that grace in our lives. And if we have not said yes today, would you give us the strength, empower us to say, yes, I, I want that. I want to say yes to a God like that. Help us to do that.